Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model and so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. Hermione remained in the hospital wing for several weeks. There was a flurry of rumor about her disappearance when the rest of the school arrived back from their Christmas holidays, because of course everyone thought that she had been attacked. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, it's our holiday episode. It's a time <gasps> of celebration and cheer and fellowship. Uh, and for that reason, our theme this week is community. And so you're going to tell us a story about community. I am. It starts out as a sad story, so I'd like everyone to bear with me. But my Aunt Esther died about two months ago now, and Jewish funerals always make it hard for people to fly to be part of the funeral because you try to bury someone within 24 hours, and she lived with the rest of my family in Los Angeles. And because of COVID, I didn't want to fly out for the Shiva call. It felt like I would be risking people who are older and vulnerable by going for that. And because of those two things, I just really wasn't able to be a part of any grief ritual when it came to Esther. 
And I sort of thought I was fine with that. Like she'd been sick for a while and I was in regular contact with her daughters who are my cousins and my age and, um, and her husband who I'm very close to. And I still felt like I was sort of part of the process, but I, I was home in Los Angeles last week and, uh, you know, just usually I would see her when I was home and I just like acutely was aware of the fact that it hadn't totally sunk in that she was dead. And I think it's because I, I didn't attend anything relating to her death. And Esther, like she was just an aunt who was always very kind to me and always really like I felt like she got me. <laughs> For example, the kids would throw a New Year's Eve party every year and I would always be invited and I would always go. And rather than hang out with other kids my age, I would go and hang out with Esther in the bedroom and we'd play cards because I did not want to go to the party. And she was just always someone who was really dear to me. And so in coming back to Boston, I was like, oh, I really want to find a way to honor her as part of a community because I do think that that is what makes you realize that something is true and makes you feel supported and loved through that. And I was flying back and it occurred to me that we actually have a mechanism for that on our podcast, that we say people's names and that the reason that people submit their names is not so that you and I, Matt, will say names in a closet, right? I don't think that that's why people submit them, but because they know that a community of people are going to hear that name and all be touched by the memory of that person's life. And so I am just using this story time to thank our community for that and to say that Esther Friedman died at 70 for complications due to diabetes. And she was a mom and grandma and aunt. And I loved her very much. And I'm really grateful that this community is here to help me honor her, especially in a time where I wasn't able to do that in a way that was typical for me. That was a really beautiful story and a beautiful kind of uh, testimony to the power of of community and and what community means and especially why we why it's so meaningful because it's in it's in those moments when it's hard for us to hold ourselves up that we depend upon others to hold us up and it's why it sounds like Esther was so meaningful to you because she was part of your community as a child growing up and that in the loss of her you need to lean on other folks to hold you up and so thanks for sharing that with us. The only thing I'd say just, you said kind of jokingly or half jokingly, you know, it's not just because we sit in a closet to say and say these names. I think that's right. It's because this is broadcast to a group of people, most of whom you and I uh, have never met, who still hold these names close to themselves and whose names we hold close. But there's also a part of me that feels like if it was just us saying these names in the closet, I would still feel the support of this community around us. And those listeners of ours who are maybe not sending in names, but saying those names in the silence of those hearts, I'm saying those names with you, all our listeners as well, right? Uh, especially if this yeah. holiday season is a difficult time for folks, as it often is. It's a time when, you know, I began the podcast saying it's a time when we're meant to be celebrating and cheerful. But almost because of that, since all of us have experienced loss, it can be a time when it's challenging to feel cheerful and to feel celebratory. I'm really grateful to have this community among others, to hold me up. I'm really grateful for you and AJ and and uh, and the others of the Harry Potter Sacred Text community to hold us up. And I hope that you all listening will feel that that we are there for you too. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I love what you said about our saying the names in the closet. Esther was already very ill when my book came out in July. 
And she is one of the people who I listed in the acknowledgements. And, you know, you get sort of 20 copies of your own book that you get to send to people. And she was one of the people I sent it to because she's always been so supportive of me. And I don't think she ever was like well enough to totally realize that her name was there. She she was still alive, but she was in and out of comas and the hospital. And I I still think it matters that her like name is on yeah. that page. Um, For sure. At least it means something to me that it does. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Matt, should we tell people what happens in this chapter? I think we ought to. I could not tell you a single thing that happens in this chapter. Okay, we just start the clock. <laughs> on your mark, get set, go. Okay, Hermione's in the hospital because she's got a furry face and Ron and Harry go to see her and other kids try to peek in. And then there's a big mess upstairs and Filch is very upset because he has to clean up the mess. And uh, Harry and Ron go into the, the girls' lavatory and Myrtle's there and saying, people are throwing books at me and they find the book. And I was like, what is this book? It's a blank diary. And then uh, and then there's Valentine's Day because of Lockhart. And a dwarf gives a Valentine to Harry and then uh, there's ink on it, but the ink doesn't go away. And he writes and the diary talks back to him and there's the end of your chapter. Hag! Hagrid did it! Hagrid did it! Hagrid did it! But he didn't really. Sorry. <laughs> I love that Valentine's Day happens because of Lockhart. Like in the whole world. <laughs> Valentine's Day happens because of Lockhart. Everybody, right. Valentine's Day is because of Gilderoy Lockhart. Okay, Vanessa, are you ready? I am. Three, two, one, go! So Harry opens the diary and he starts writing and the diary starts writing back. And Tom Riddle's like, I can tell you what happened in the Chamber of Secrets or with 50 years ago. And so Harry falls into the book and they show a conversation between Tom Riddle and the headmaster. And Tom Riddle really wants to go to stay at Hogwarts. And um, Dippet is like, maybe we should shut it down. And then we run into Dumbledore 50 years ago. And then Riddle is like, Hagrid, you killed that little girl with that monster you didn't mean to. And Hagrid's like, no, I didn't. See, community, Vanessa, this is what I'd love. You didn't even feign attempting to tell the first half of the chapter. You were just like, we we are a fellowship. We are a team. This is a community effort. I'm going to pick up exactly where the wheels and the wings and every other thing <laughs> fell off of Matt's 30-second recap and complete the task he failed to finish. Or I was like, I don't need to redo the beginning. Matt did an excellent job. Why would I redo that? Matt, I feel like we see community from paragraph one of this chapter, right? Hermione is in the hospital wing and the boys come every day and they bring her her homework. And there's an inside group and an outside group. Harry and Ron are allowed to see her with the furry face and Madame Pomfrey is. And so they are a little community. And then there's outside of the community, which I think is one of the things about community is that the, it has to be boundaried for better and worse. And so I think that right from the beginning of the chapter, we see some of the upsides of community. And also I would argue some of the downsides because the kids who aren't in the know are worried someone else got petrified. And like, that seems really scary to not be in the know as to what happened on that level. That's, I mean, that's, that's great, Vanessa, because I was reading more cynically the other kids. I, I was thinking they were just like it was almost like a morbid curiosity. Did the mm. did the mud blood get it? Right. I I was reading it that way. But I think you're actually right. I think that was not generous enough a sense of the kind of community there is at Hogwarts, at least among three of the houses, right? Where they might be genuinely concerned about <laughs> about Hermione, not just morbidly 
curious because you're right. There would be no sense of community if it was morbid curiosity. But if it's like, is there still this terror lurking in our hallways? Then the curiosity is a sign of concern, not just for Hermione, but also for the the community, at least of three of the houses. You know, we didn't go to Etymology Corner yet. And community has a really interesting etymology that I discovered doing my research for this episode, (laughs) right? Because I thought I knew, I thought I knew what the etymology of community was. I knew that community came from the Latin communitas. And I just kind of assumed that, I know that the the prefix C-O-M means with, right? Or together. And I was like, oh, unity, community. I was like, many together as one. And that's a good community etymology. It's a, it would be a sensible community etymology, but it's actually not the etymology of community. The It actually, community comes from the state of being in common. The I-T-A-S at the end is a state of being. And actually community means, like the com, it does mean with or together, but the munus, or the munitas at the end actually has the sense of obligation, office, or duty. So it's actually a, a duty you hold in common or an obligation you hold in common, right? So it's not like, oh, we are all one, we are all the same from many one, the kind of, you know, the the slogan that's on our money in the United States, right? It's actually not that at all. It's actually, we might all be different, but we share an obligation either to each other or to some other greater good, right? And that's a, boy, that's, that's thinking about community differently than I tend to, because I tend to think about community as like, oh, we're all together and that's the point. When actually... The point of community is some other point, which is some other goal or office or obligation that we all agree that we share, right? That's how you can get to the more generous reading of what these other Hogwarts students are doing when they peer in. At Hermione, it's like like this common project of our life here at Hogwarts. How under threat is it and how ought we to respond? Uh, at least among the three houses that seem concerned about Muggleborns who who are under threat in this place, in this community. Like, what is their obligation to those folks? What is our obligation to to one another? love that definition of community because that that makes it more selective. You know, I actually wonder if Lockhart's Valentine's situation will help illuminate what I think the virtues of community are and what I think the limitations of community are. So I think Lockhart sort of does a great thing in this chapter. I think he does a couple of great things. First of all, he sends Hermione a get well card. And I actually am a big fan of this get well card. It is not particularly personal to Hermione, even though it is personalized. And I think that because Hermione is part of a community of students, it would be inappropriate for Lockhart to be like to the best, cutest, sweetest, (laughs) smartest girl, right? Like it would be super inappropriate for a teacher to send that. Yes. Right. He has to send the same card to every student who is in the hospital wing in order for this to not be creepy. But it is a very thoughtful thing for him to do for every student who's in the hospital wing. But then there's that downside of you don't feel special. Right. You're like, oh, he does this to everyone in the hospital wing. And so I think that community can do both of those things. Right. It can protect you from other people crossing boundaries. It can make you a class of person who gets a certain right or a certain privilege, like a note from Lockhart. But then it also, like, to some extent, can diminish your individuality. Or it can also put you in a group that you don't want to be in, right? I think that there are a lot of things that are complicated about community. Yeah. And then again, Lockhart with 
the way he does Valentine's Day, I feel like, is very similar, right? He, like, decorates the hall, which is for everyone, but then does these weird <laughs> individual Valentines, yeah. which creates this, like, inside-outside thing again. And I'm wondering where, I'm wondering if you can help me reframe, maybe, with this new definition of community of, like, common goal. Yeah. Or are are these not community, according to that definition? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, there are two different problems, right? So on the one hand, the hospital card problem is to what degree does community diminish our individuality? And how do we navigate the tension between being individuals with special and unique significance? And what happens when those individual identities are subjugated to or sublimated to a larger community identity? How do we negotiate that tension? Because there's always a tension, right? while also recognizing that our communities give us some of our individual identities, right? So, like, that's one problem, which is the hospital card problem. Then the other question you asked about the Valentine's Day, it seems to me about the other kind of dilemma or tension in community is that any building a community is always going to necessarily draw some boundaries. Like, this this is us boundary means there's always going to be implied, at least, uh, that is them boundary. And yep. even if you're this is us is highly inclusive and as inclusive as you can make it or wants to be open and welcoming saying that this is us implies a them, which is always going to be a little bit outside. Right. And which is, I think what you're saying about the, the Valentine problem, right? He's saying we all celebrate Valentine's day, right? We all love this celebration and want to celebrate in this particular way. Right. And that actually alienates a bunch of people who don't want to observe it in that way. And so your question is, how does the etymological understanding of common obligation rather than a group of people who identify with each other, <laughs> right? How mm -hmm. does that definition clarify these problems? Yep. So I basically just restated everything <laughs> you said. Yeah, but I think that that was really helpful. And hearing you do it, I was like, wow. I gave you a heavy lift. I think the answer to that question is actually in another situation in the chapter. <laughs> right? Amazing. So at risk of, of confusion, <laughs> Vanessa, let me try to begin to answer these really like important and interesting questions with a third plot point from the chapter. I love that, that the chapter can make us ask questions and give us those answers. Yeah. It's like internal Havruta. I would like to think about the end of the chapter when... Hagrid is caught by Tom Riddle with what we will find out later is Aragog, the giant and terrifying spider, right? And I'm going to suggest that the problem with Hagrid here is a misunderstanding of community. Mm. <laughs> that Hagrid's understanding community as a sense of common bond rather than common obligation, right? Because I think Hagrid has a strong sense of feeling a, a relationship to non-human creatures, especially to creatures that humans regard as monsters, right? I think he, he feels a loyalty and a love and affection for those creatures. And so he feels like they ought to be part of his community. They ought to be part of Hogwarts. Aragog belongs at Hogwarts because we love Aragog. And later on, Grop belongs at Hogwarts because he loves Grop. And Norbert belongs at Hogwarts because he loves Norbert. And Buckbeak belongs at Hogwarts because he loves Buckbeak, right? 
and thinking because I love them, they're part of my community is the wrong definition of community. I think rather the question around Hogwarts is to whom are we obligated? What is our common obligation? Right? And what does it mean for us to be a community that gathers around these obligations? And this is really the argument in book two and also across the series because the Slytherins and a particular Slytherin tradition says our common obligation is to wizards and wizards only to the expense and even at the expense of all other creatures. Whereas a different version of community would say, like, we are a community of wizards whose common obligation is to non-magical creatures or other creatures, right? So you could be a community of wizards who intends to take care of creatures like hippogriffs and dragons and giant terrifying spiders, but doesn't necessarily believe that they live in your castle, therefore, right? Like you can be a community that upholds their values without them being part of the lived experience of everyone in the castle, because that's dangerous. Because we know later on that Aragog did not, in fact, kill Myrtle. But we also learned later on that Aragog would have no problem killing Myrtle or another student, (laughs) right? So, like, it wasn't safe. It doesn't, being community with, being a community for Hagrid should mean I am joining with other magical humans in order and for the common purpose of protecting all kinds of creatures, right? Not so that those creatures can be among us and live with us, right? Okay, so how does that speak back to the two problems you you, you suggest <laughs> earlier on, which is like around, like, what does it mean to be in community with somebody like Lockhart, right? Lockhart would say, it means to celebrate what I celebrate, which is me, right? <laughs> and that is not a goal that they all gather around, right? Like, that's not, That's not what it means. Actually, for Lockhart to be in that community should mean not to sacrifice his own individuality and even his own narcissism or narcissistic qualities. It would be to kind of understand those things in service of a common obligation, which is how do we as a community fulfill the common obligation of helping non-magical creatures and those without kind of pure wizarding blood or whatever, right? So his idea of Valentine's Day is about how great I am, right? (laughs) Like... That's not fostering the cultivation of the the common bond. Whereas the note to Hermione, even an individual note in this case, especially because she's muggle-born, a note that maybe not even every student in the sick ward gets or in the, the hospital wing gets, could be in service of that common bond. You don't have to treat everybody the same because if our common obligation is towards protection of those who are not wizard born or do not have the pure wizarding blood or wizarding powers, like then an individual action like a note to a muggle born wizard could be a sign of community because it's upholding the values that we have all decided to hold in common. Wow, that was a really long explanation. Sorry. <laughs> no, I loved every part of it. I'm going to defend Hagrid though. Okay. I know you weren't attacking him, but I think that. I love people who invite us to blend the boundaries of community and at least get us to question them. I don't love it when people like risk lives of children because of a spider to do that. But right. like A giant terrifying spider, to be clear. A giant terrifying spider. (laughs) I'm not like, you know, I question his methods. But the moments in my life that have most sort of rocked my world in profound ways are when someone has said to me, why is that a boundary of inside outside? Shouldn't this actually be inclusive of someone else who you've never thought of being inclusive of? And 
that is very abstractly said, but right, I've had people teach me about ways that our community isn't as inclusive of, you know, uh, hearing impaired people as we would like it to be. And that's how we started our transcript program, right? I never would have thought podcasting, what do we do with our deaf community? Oh, right. There are actually things that we can do. And those are moments of, of, of such excitement and growth for me. And so sure, I don't like Hagrid's methodology, but I love his invitation of part of us caring for the world means caring for creatures that you might not otherwise see as part of the world. Yes. Of the world that we have to care for is one of our duties. And I feel like those are the people, like living your life like that, I just think is living your life with an orientation of like, true like radical yep i don't know a life of mitzvah <laughs> yeah i think that's right and i think that there's actually a, a, an important grace and virtue in trying to expand the boundaries of our communities while recognizing the tension that you raised in your question that i tried to to re- reiterate which is that you know every time you draw a boundary you leave somebody outside that boundary and if you want to be an inclusive community that means like inviting people in but also recognizing even that invitation is going to be complicated because you'd be maybe inviting someone who prefers to be outside your community into your community and you should navigate that, right? right. So, I mean, if I can tell a personal story, I'm uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be like officially and ceremony, ceremonially installed as the as Harvard's minister or whatever, right? And I know I'll be there. I know it's gonna be great. And, you know, interreligious kind of relationship is really important to me. So I invited some other religious leaders on campus to, to come be a part of the service and some accepted and uh, you know, one person that I was hoping to be part of the service said, you know, I have to decline, not because I don't support you uh, or support these goals of interfaith service, but because there's a history of forced conversion between our religions. And I, it doesn't make sense for me. It, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. So I will be there, but I'm not going to participate in the service in the way you've asked me to. And I was just like, you know, that's this is a situation in which being in community upholding the common goal we have, the common duty and obligation we have to promote interreligious and multi-religious life on this campus means us not being together. Right. Right? Like it's actually, oh, we have the same goal. And the way for us to live into that goal is for us to not be part of the same group. It's to actually stand separately but share the goal, right? Right. I think we we can run into the habit or the instinct that to be in community means we're all doing the same thing together. When actually we might be doing very different things and sharing different identities, but because we share the same goal and maybe approach that goal through different means because of our different identities, we can still be in community while being very different. And I think that is so, that's so important because I think where community gets dangerous, and that this is important for our Harry Potter and Sacred Text community as well, where community gets dangerous is when the community calls itself sacred because of its own identity. Like, oh, to be in community is sacred. And there's a very, like, and I think it can be, but there's a very, like, um, blurry line between saying to be in community is sacred and to say, like, oh, we are sacred, which is super close to Slytherin ideology, right? We're sacred because we are, because we are who we are. We are the best. And so to be sacred means to be one of us. When actually what makes a community sacred is not that we share an identity. It's that we share a goal. And others with different identities can also share that goal. And we can hold those goals in common. And that that will be the sacred bond, which is how we save ourselves from making gods of ourselves and and look to others to help us 
to become different, to become more inclusive, to become more willing to recognize the dignity and virtues of others and to, and to share projects with those who are different than us rather than to turn inward and kind of valorize or sanctify ourselves. Right. It's also how we avoid cultural appropriation, right? Yes. Of yep. saying, I want to be part of anti-racism. Like that does not mean that I as a white person, join black communities, right? I right. join them and follow their lead on their goals while staying in my right. identity as a white woman, right? Yep. And following leadership when I'm not a leader, right? It's right. And it it can feel hard to be like, oh, I have the same goal as you, but you're not welcoming me into this, you know, right. subcategory of your community. But I think just like that's such an important thing to hold on to. Of yeah. you might want a letter from Lockhart, but you're not injured in the hospital wing. So right. like you don't get a letter. And like that feels hurtful because you love Lockhart too. But like that's not actually the qualifying thing that he's giving letters for. Yep. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. a missed opportunity of community in this chapter. And I think that your definition helps me articulate 
maybe why it's a missed opportunity. And that's between Ginny and Myrtle, right? So we're, we're going to find out later that Myrtle was killed by Tom Riddle, not by Hagrid, and that she was made to feel special by Tom Riddle and groomed by Tom Riddle in the way that we're going to find out that Ginny is being th- by Tom Riddle through this diary. And Ginny and Myrtle are just victims of the same man, victims of the same situation, 50 years apart. And at one moment, right, Ginny throws out the diary, the sort of embodiment of Tom Riddle to her, in Myrtle's bathroom. So the the diary literally goes through Myrtle again, right? Tom Riddle goes through Myrtle a second time. And you just think, oh, my God, what a missed opportunity of these two women going through exactly the same thing, being in the same room, the same space, and not realizing the thing that they have in common. And, And I just think that that happens all the time, right, where we feel isolated, even though there are so many people who are going through the same thing, right? It's why, I mean, it's like why support groups are so helpful, you know, to just like realize that other people are going through the same thing as you and you can form this community. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that I think you always need a shared goal. Maybe the shared goal is one of healing, but through a shared identity or a shared experience, right? We're we're all going through this and that makes us understand each other. Yeah. And therefore I feel less alone. Maybe the shared goal is to feel less alone within the confines of a certain kind of situation. Yeah, that's a really, I think that's a really compelling example, Vanessa. And I think that it really makes me wonder uh, like what happens when the kind of assumed goal of a community is forced by circumstance to shift and change. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's kind of what's going on at Hogwarts and that maybe what's happened is the the individuals within the community of Hogwarts have not responded quickly enough to how their common obligation has shifted. And that's why they're not taking care of each other as well as they might or seeing opportunities to care for each other as they might. I mean, there's this moment in the chapter where Ron jokes about Myrtle. Well, maybe Tom Riddle murdered her. That would have done everybody a favor. Right. Which we find out later that Tom Riddle did murder her, and it's a awful joke. But even not knowing that that this was true, that he accidentally joked the true thing, he knows that she is a whatever a child who died at Hogwarts, <laughs> right? And it's still a pretty heartless joke. And that's what I mean about about this idea that the goal has shifted, the goal of this community, the obligation of this community has shifted, but individuals have not responded quickly enough because when they arrived at school this last fall the goal was let's all be great wizards let's grow up into the best wizards we can be that's the goal we share in common right and then these attacks start happening and the goal of the community has to shift to we need to protect each other and especially the most vulnerable among ourselves right and people people aren't responding to that quickly enough yet like i feel like the teachers are not taking that seriously enough and protecting the students well enough. I feel like Harry, when he's questioned by Dumbledore in the last chapter, is trying to protect himself as a student and to keep in the good graces of his headmaster rather than tell the truth of what's going on with the voices he hears in the walls, right? Uh, and in this case, Myrtle is not a potential victim that we need to support and learn from. She's still a person that we can tease or make fun of because 
the goal in people's psychology or in their minds has not shifted away from individual achievement so we can all become good wizards and get great wizarding jobs towards like, oh, we need to protect each other, right? Well, Matt, as the Dumbledore apologist, don't you think that <laughs> Is that this... my title now, Dumbledore apologist? Okay. It's yes, one of I'll your t- titles. It's not your it. whole title. But as the loving defender of Dumbledore. Yep. Do you think that Dumbledore is sort of doing a worse job of that, of dip it, right? We see this past headmaster when we go into the diary and he's like, one girl has died. Maybe we should shut down the whole school. Yeah. Whereas Dumbledore is like, a million people have been petrified. We're fine. Let's keep going. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like Dippet was actually doing a better job, and Dumbledore 50 years ago was doing a better job. He was like, Tom, you shouldn't be in the corridor by yourself. It's dangerous, right? Like, it was just interesting how you saw how leadership could shift a community in a community orientation, because it did seem as though there was, like, acute fear, and kids couldn't stay for Christmas, unlike now where they can, right? Like, they're under the leadership of someone else, that community focus did change 50 years ago in a way that it's not now. Vanessa, you're right. I am a Dumbledore apologist. And so I'm going to make my apology for Dumbledore (laughs) in my defense. (laughs) To be clear, I think you're right. He's in the wrong. Everything I just said prior to this is that I think that they are not taking this seriously enough. I think Dumbledore has two main problems or two versions of one problem, which is uh, basically overconfidence. I think that he is he's too confident in the power of love to protect folks or he he misunderstands what love's protection might look like. And he's too too confident in, in the security of Hogwarts to protect folks. And, you know, I don't know, because I can't remember, I don't know if, or I don't know if it's clear from the text, whether Dumbledore knows exactly what kind of monster is in the Chamber of Secrets or what kind of threat it poses. But I could see Dumbledore thinking, the children will be safest here under our care, rather than send them home, which is what they ought to do. Right. And maybe it's because he doesn't know what's in the in the walls of the school. And maybe he thinks it could get out and go to pursue muggles, muggleborns all over the country. But I think that I think his mistake is, yeah, it's a lack of responsiveness. It's a lack of agility when a threat arises. And and it's a failure. It is a it is a failure of leadership. I mean, in that sense, you're right, dip it, dip it is correct. Uh, and dip it is more responsive to to what's going on than than Dumbledore is. Vanessa, now it's time for our spiritual practice, and we are resuming our practice of, of Florilegia this week. One of my favorites. They're all one of my favorites, but Florilegia is also one of my one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so we each have chosen a sparklet from the chapter, a, a line that we thought was especially rich or interesting or perplexing or lovely, and we are going to share them with one another and with our listeners now. What's your sentence, Vanessa? My sentence is, Harry couldn't explain, even to himself, why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. I think it's fairly self-explanatory, but this is from a moment in the chapter after they don't know what the diary does yet. It's, like, completely useless. Hermione has tried to reveal, like, what's in it. They can't figure anything out. But Harry is still carrying it around, and he couldn't explain even to himself why he did that. 
And I love it because there are things that I keep that I don't know why I keep. I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to keep this. I mean, everything from like paperwork to books to like ideas, right? Or habits. I'm like, why do I still do this like this? I don't know, but I'm going to keep doing it. Um, And so I think that this is very relatable. And I also think that it speaks to the fact that he's just drawn to this item. And I think that there are certain books and stories and ideas that we're just drawn to and we can't quite explain why. But what is your sentence? My sentence, Vanessa, is oozing back out of the page in his very own ink came words Harry had never written. <laughs> and so this is when he's discovering that he can speak to Tom Riddle through the diary. He he writes his question in scarlet ink, very appropriately blood-colored ink, which is absorbed and sinks into the diary and then comes back to him uh, as a response. And I like this sentence because I think the verb oozing is a really great verb because in a written medium, I think the fact that this is scarlet ink is less its association with blood is like less obvious to us. You know, if we're seeing it in the movie, it's clear that it's supposed to look like blood. But the oozing somehow helps the the kind of blood imagery come through. So I just like it as a piece of writing. But the reason I like it kind of thematically or in terms of its meaning is so much of of how we understand ourselves happens in conversation with others, right? Like, I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but, you know, I'm a mixed-race person, and my my mixed-race identity is a complicated one because I have a sense of who I am, but also people regard me with particular opinions. And I learned that my identity is kind of shaped at the intersection of those things. People tell me who they understand me to be, and that doesn't always sit well with me, and I also assert and say who I am back to the communities around me. And who I really am is somewhere in between what feels true inside me and also what people say about me or how people read me, right? And so something about this idea that Harry writes something into the book and then the book speaks back to him with his own ink, like with his own words. Like there's some, it's something about the the space between where we speak and others speak back to us that something about that space between I find really rich and interesting. That's why this, this sparklet sparkled at me. Okay, so now I need to read our sentences. Yes, please. Okay, I'm gonna read them in sequence, and we'll see what new and illuminating text arises for us. Harry couldn't explain, even to himself, why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. Oozing back out of the page in his very own ink came words Harry had never written. I mean, this makes total sense to me. He doesn't throw it away because it's like teaching him things that had never occurred to him or was making him think things or feel things that had never occurred to him, right? Yeah, I think that's right. But to me, the thing that really stuck out in this reading was the in his very own ink, which is mm-hmm. he can throw it away because it's him, right? And we'll find out later mm-hmm. that this is actually more true than we realize because it's a horcrux, because he has this tide of Voldemort, right? But this idea, I can't throw this thing away because it would be throwing away a part of myself. Uh, that compulsion, the fact that my own ink speaks back to me. Yeah, there's something about that tie that emerged for me in this reading. Yeah. So now I'm going to flip the sentences and we'll read them in reverse order and see what arises. Oozing back out of the page in his very own ink came words Harry had never written. Harry couldn't explain even to himself why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. I mean, (laughs) it's like this bleeding thing 
is creeping him out. And he's like, I don't know why I'm not throwing it away. But he finds that so compelling. It's like watching a horror movie. You're like, I am so scared. I am miserable right now. Why aren't I just turning it off? And if you're me, you do. But my understanding of how other people view horror movies is that they still don't turn it off. That's a really great explanation, Vanessa. Because the first time I read through, I was like, oh, this just is a different version of the reading we just gave. But you're right. He should be terrified. When the diary speaks back to him in ink that looks like blood, right? And he had just had this warning from Ron, be careful, books can be incredibly dangerous, right? Like, he should be terrified. He should put it down. Like, this is a sign that this is an enchanted object that he cannot trust, and he can't put it down. And it it speaks to something about how that which frightens us also kind of is alluring to us or draws us in. You know, fear is very closely related to not understanding or not knowing, which is also really really closely related to curiosity, right? And so curiosity and fear are really close together. And there's something where his curiosity should be outweighed by fear. Instead, his fear is outweighed by curiosity. And that that's a problem. Peter and I just had a conversation last night where we were trying to figure out if Amy likes snakes or not. Because my impression is always that she likes snakes. And Mm. Peter is like, no, she's scared of snakes. And we came to the conclusion that it was both, right? Whenever we see a snake on a hike, she's super curious and also like constantly is getting freaked out. Yeah. But I like it's a positive energy of that fear, whereas I'm more afraid of than she is. So I stand behind the nine year old and I'm like, you go. Yep. (laughs) Be brave. Right. That that fear. But excitement, I I think, is right. There's only a certain balance of it. You can be so afraid that you're like running the other direction. But you lose all curiosity. There is a moment. Right. Um, that I think, and I think that that's always Harry's relationship with Voldemort and to some extent Voldemort's relationship to Harry, right? It's Voldemort doesn't just want to kill Harry. He wants to engage with Harry and Harry also wants to understand what's happening. I think that their attraction to one another is, is just as strong as the fear. Yep. Well, thanks, Matt. That was so fun. Thank you, Vanessa. Great sentence. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This week's voicemail is from Raj. Hi, Vanessa and Matt. My name is Raj, and I'm calling you from Chicago in reference to your recent episode on forgiveness. I work in healthcare and interact with many people at the end of their lives. Death seems to have this extraordinary power to bring people back together, as though the knowledge that someone is dying gives people the strength they need to move past all the hurt, bitterness, and anger that is keeping them apart. It is a beautiful thing but it's also inherently tragic because now that these people are finally reunited, there's not nearly enough time left. We see this scenario play out in the seventh book when Percy reunites with the Weasleys just before the final battle, only for Fred to die soon after. So much healing happened in that short period, but the missed time between Percy and his brother is staggering and heartbreaking. I want to offer a blessing for anyone out there who desperately wants a closer relationship with someone they love, but doesn't yet have the strength they need to forgive what's been done to them. Or maybe they are still waiting for forgiveness and do not know how to get there. I hope you find what you are seeking. I love the podcast and enjoy every single episode. They really make me think about both the books and life in a new light. Thank you so much for what you do. Okay, bye. Thank you, Raj, for your voice memo and and for the work you do with people who are near the end of their lives. I know that's um, very challenging and, and difficult work, but also really sacred work. And so I'm grateful for it. What you say about forgiveness is is right. You know, I think that anytime reconciliation can happen or when the circumstances of our lives allow it to happen, I think it's a blessing and a gift and should be treated as a blessing and a gift when it's appropriate and when it's right. And when, as I said, the circumstances of our life allow it to happen. But I also think there is the kind of tragedy of any time a relationship is estranged or breached, there's lost time. And that that sense of lost time is always a cue to the end of life, even when there has been a gift of reconciliation given by the parties involved. I've mentioned this philosopher before on the podcast, but Jacques Derrida has all these writings on forgiveness. And and he says it to different purpose, but I think it, the spirit of his statement holds, which is he says that even when you ask forgiveness or offer forgiveness, you have to, in that moment, ask for forgiveness for asking forgiveness, right? Because, because the forgiveness you offer is never going to be perfect because what you're trying to repair is an imperfect thing in that offer of forgiveness. And so even the the offer of forgiveness, even the even the achievement of reconciliation, part of what that is going to signal is that there has been some brokenness and that there has been something lost. And so, just like I said in that forgiveness episode, it's not about fixing the broken thing. It, and on the contrary, it's about acknowledging it, but trying to move forward uh, in spite of that brokenness. And insofar as the, the work you do facilitates this, Raj, Thank you and blessings to you and blessings to all the people who you accompany in their last days. The other thing I'll say, Raj, is that this really made me think of, you know, lost time in terms of COVID. My 
niece was born three months into all of us quarantining, and it was a time of real fear. And you know, I just got to visit her and spend some time with her. She's, you know, about a year and a half now. And I can't tell you how simultaneously meaningful it was to like be making her laugh. And, you know, there's a photo of her willingly <laughs> having her like little hand on my shoulder, even though, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time physically together. We FaceTimed, but I'm not someone who she's been able to grow up and know. And I, I was so overjoyed by having those moments. And I was also just really sad. I'm much closer to her older brother because he and I got to bond a lot in the first years of his life before COVID hit. And so when we started FaceTiming, he already knew me. And and so, of course, I miss that time snuggling him as well during COVID. But I think that these missed times are just a part of all of our lives. COVID or not, you know, I think no matter where I am, I'm missing somebody. And I think that that's true for many of us. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been lost. Dora Stylin, who was 50, and who was the warmth and light of her community. Mac Matson was 29, a wonderful brother and beloved uncle. Peggy Lee was 65, a missionary mentor, a grandmother, and wife. Mary Nana Blair and Elvin Poppy Blair, both 77, lovers of family and makers of music. Mike Murdoch, who was 24, a friend, brother, and gentle soul. And Steve Watts, who was 53, and a father figure to so many. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Matt, it's now time for us to offer our blessings. And I am going to bless Ron. I love... Ron's anxiety about what this diary is. It feels very caring and informed and urgent. And uh, Harry should be listening to him. Yeah. (laughs) Harry is new to the wizarding world and Ron is not. And so I think that we can be new to a culture and be welcome into a community, but we should still respect the knowledge of people who have been in the community longer. And I really wish that Harry had listened to Ron. I think he does an excellent job explaining things and giving good examples. And I just want to bless Ron how frustrating and scary it must be for him that Harry does not listen and it ends up hurting Ron's sister. <sighs> so a blessing for Ron and all the people who are right and not listened to. Vanessa, I would like to bless Filch and I have to say my reading of Filch has transformed this time around, mostly because of my conversations with you. And so this blessing is just an extension of previous observations about Filch. But Filch runs up to the scene where there's all this flooded water and it's where Mrs. Norris was petrified. And the first thing I thought was like, this is the place where his most beloved creature and companion was almost killed and has not yet recovered. And also, he does not have magical tools to clean up this mess. So, of course, he's angry. Of course, he's up there screaming. Yeah. So, yeah. 
His Filch's life is too hard. Blessings of Filch. Amen. Next week, we will have special guest Jackson Bird, and we will be reading chapter 14 through the theme of humility. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. Our Frankenstein pilgrimage is happening in April. Our tarot is a sacred practice class is launching in just a few weeks in mid-January. And you can find out about all these things at notsorryworks.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by 8Cast. Thanks this week to Raj, who sent in a voice memo to Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and to everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones who have been lost. A blessing for Ron and all the people who are right and not listened to. So a blessing for myself. <laughs> I was to say, this sounds like, this sounds like <laughs> a roundabout way. Maybe not even that roundabout, just sort of. Okay. <laughs>